Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. You know, last week at the end, we read this verse. I want to read it to you again out of 1 Peter. Remember, they were talking about the prophets of old who wrote the Holy Scripture that it was revealed to them that it was not for them, it was for those yet to come. And it says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which the angels long to look. And I thought about that as we were worshiping and uh, just a couple times in the worship, I just, I just had to stop and kind of put my finger in one ear and kind of turn my ear towards you. And it was just a beautiful sound. And I want you to know that angels can sing well. And angels can proclaim the blessings of God well. But it doesn't compare to God's children praising Him. You get to look into things they long to see, but can't understand like you. That's what you're part of. We have so much to be grateful for. So I'd be remiss not to just stop and pray before we go any further. Father, thank you. Thank you for, for loving us, for sending Jesus to us. Thank you for allowing us to worship you in freedom. Thank you for letting us be your children. Thank you for calling us by name to you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the ability to praise you and that you give us eternity to know you. Father, thank you. And we just praise your name and pray that today that you be honored in every way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may not be aware of this, but... Churches have been known to be sensitive to how long somebody preaches. I grew up in a church largely that uh, the uh, pastor uh, was a phenomenal preacher. He became later the uh, president of the Baptist General Convention of Texas and then president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, a phenomenal man, Landrum Level. And our services were televised every week on the same channel that carried the cowboy games. And I will tell you that in North Texas, it is all cowboy country. And people once in a while in a joshing way would say to him something like this, Pastor, are you going to get us out in time for a kickoff? And he would respond in times not such a joshing way, well, if that's what's really important to you, then when you die, you ask Tom Landry to come do your funeral. Well, I thought about that when one Sunday as I was sitting there with my brother and my mother and my sister, and we're watching the service, and it's uh, about, I'm about eight years old, and there's this big choir, and in the choir, they had two television sets so that the choir would be able to watch the pastor preach instead of just watching his back. 
And the way things were supposed to happen is at noon, they were to move from the TV feed to the in-house feed because the cowboys would come on dead noon no matter where he was in that sermon. One Sunday, we noticed the choir suddenly became engaged in the sermon in a whole different way. <laughs> Lean forward. We also found that they were starting to get excited. What we didn't know was at that point there was, there was a runner from the kickoff running back a touchdown. But about that point, as you could almost hear inside the choir, go, go, go. The pastor turned around and he realized what was happening. And next Sunday, there was no televisions in the choir loft. So I'm kind of grateful that tonight, that the Astros are playing tonight and not this morning. <laughs> but you know, in all reality, it's, it's kind of about our priorities, the things that we care about. And I want to talk to you today about a priority that I hope you have. And that's the priority of telling your story of how Jesus has transformed your life. We're in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be talking about being able to tell our story and talk about our story as we go through it, talking about living our legacy. And so I want to ask you, if we were to do a scale, and on one end of the scale is a 1 at very little, and 10 was very much, on being ready to tell your story, where would you fall in that scale? And let me give you a different scale. What if on one side we had an obnoxious street preacher? You know, the kinds that are on the corners in the city with a bullhorn that are yelling at you about how much God loves you as your eardrums get pierced? Or the stealth witness. You don't see them coming. You're not sure who they are. You're not sure who they know. But they try to do good. They just never tell you why. Where do you fall? Could people tell by your conduct that you know Jesus? Could people tell by your speech that you know Jesus? Are people able to tell by your life that you are living a story of God's love in your life? Let's see what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter says, these are some things that you need to do. And he said, the first thing you need to do is you need to prepare your mind. You need to have a mind that is ready. And literally, he uses a word picture here of girding up your loins. Now, when we read that, we might go, wait a minute, what is that about? But think of it like this. Right now, many of you, most of you, certainly most of the guys in here are wearing slacks. And so you're ready to run. But if you're wearing a more flowy robe like they might have been wearing, then if you're going to run, you could do it with a little bit of trepidation because you could catch yourself on your clothing. And so when they knew running was going to be involved, they would reach down, grab their, the backside of their, of their robe or the backside of their clothing, bring it up and tuck it in like an adult diaper <laughs> so they could cut out and run unobstructed. And the idea is, is that you're to live your life in such a way that every day you're ready to run the race that God has put in front of you. 
So how do you do that? Well, he talks about there's several ways, but let me give you a couple of thoughts. One is, is that we ready ourselves, we prepare our minds for action when we make sure that we are regularly in God's Word. When God's Word is living in us, it can be lived through us. It happens when we spend time regularly in prayer as we talk with God and listen to God and learn His voice. It happens because we have purposely put ourselves in a place where we are actively being obedient to the things that God is teaching us. It's not just that we read the Word or heard the Word, but now we're living the Word. And every time we take that step of obedience, we come to a closer place where our life is living out the truth of who God is in our heart. He says, I want you to be sober-minded or, or self-controlled. He, he says, I want you to avoid sinful acts because they'll trip you up. Avoid sinful acts because they'll clutter your life. And he literally gives a picture here of being willing and ready to clear the clutter out so that you will not have a life that is obstructed. Do you know that in this country, there are 34,000 separate self-storage businesses nationwide? There is more than 1.5 billion square feet of storage in this country. That's five square feet per person in this room and everywhere else. And for some of you, your first thought is five square feet's not that much. I mean, you come see my garage. The Rubbermaid Corporation says this year, right after Christmas, about December 15th, actually, you're going to start seeing in the stores all these containers you can buy to put your stuff in it. They're going to sell more than 100 million containers to us this year just to store stuff. We have lots of stuff. Matter of fact, we love our stuff so much that we have storage units for stuff. We even have television shows about stuff. It's called hoarders. People that have so much stuff, they're interesting. And people watch them and wonder, can you believe they live like that? I think some people like this show because they can say, at least I'm not them. And maybe you've had a friend that says, hey, when you can find your TV, you ought to watch this. They may be trying to tell you something. And we look at that and we see that show or those kind of things and we think, man, that's not the way to live. You can't live where you can't find your bed. You can't live when you can still find what you had for dinner five years ago somewhere in here. We know by nature that's wrong, something's wrong. But do you know how many of us might have a clean house but a cluttered heart? Because we've been storing stuff. We have stored up unforgiveness. We have stored up bitterness. We have stored up rage. We have stored up stories of hurt and pain and disappointment. We have stored up disappointments to the place that we've rehearsed them and they have shaped us more than the Word of God. There's people that you can talk with 
And as soon as they start the conversation, you know the story they're about to tell. They have talked about that hurt so many times. Here it comes again. And you need to hear this, child of God. The Lord wants you free of that pain. He does not want you defined by your disappointments. He does not want the hurts of what people have done in your past, the destruction that others meant for you, the, the hurt that has come toward you to be what defines your life. He wants you to live in freedom. But we cling to it. But we need to let go of it. How do we do that? Well, it's what it says at the end of that particular verse. You set your hope, what? Fully on God's grace. See, when I set my hope on God's grace, when I focus on God's grace, I'm very mindful that I'm needing God's grace. That I needed God's grace so much that I had to cast my heart upon his grace and come to know Jesus so that Jesus could come in my heart and cleanse me and forgive me and be my Lord and Savior and that I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me. And if he gave me that forgiveness and he gave that to me, he's now through me able to live and to forgive other people. He's able to help me get past that hurt. He's able to help me move beyond that definition of that moment and move to a place of spiritual health so that I'm defined by who I am in Jesus, not defined by the worst motivation of someone else toward me. What about clutter? Are there things that are cluttering up your heart right now? Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Set your hope fully on God's grace. So how are we to live? Look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you are holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He says, I want you to live a, a holy life. I want you to live a life that reflects Jesus and all that you do. I want you to live a life in such a way that when people look at you and they see you, they're seeing the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Live a holy life, a set-apart life. Live as an exile. Live as a stranger. And as we think about that, we, we are very mindful of something. That is that most of us don't live as an exile in this world. We live in this world as if this is what's more real than the world to come. You see, if I'm living as an exile, I understand that this world is temporal, that the pain I go through is temporal, that the challenges I face are temporal, but the grace and the mercy of God, the person of Jesus Christ, the relationship I have as his child, that's eternal. That's forever. And what will last forever is more real than what I'm experiencing right now just on this earth. The reality is all of us have stuff that we like, don't we? I mean, let's just face it. We like stuff. I can prove it. 
in my own life, I like stuff. I've been driving the same truck for six years, and I think that probably at least once or twice a month, I walk in and look at my wife and say, thank you for letting me have that truck. I had a different vehicle. I went hunting one day with my pastor, and we couldn't go somewhere because my vehicle didn't have four-wheel drive. Came home, told my wife about it, and she says, well, then you need to get a truck. I married so well. (laughs) But that truck can't get me to heaven. And it's just stuff. And they could be stolen on the parking lot, but they can't steal what Jesus gave me. What has your heart? Jesus or stuff? We are to live as an exile, living as a stranger, understanding I'm just passing through this life. It's not all there is. So what do we need to remember? Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. said, I want to remind you, you were ransomed. Now, that word was chosen intentionally. When God's word was being written, God spoke that word purposely because he wanted it to be very clear to us that you were in a ransom situation. You weren't in a holdup. If you're in a holdup, somebody is trying to get something that you have and you give it to them. If you are being ransomed, by its very nature, it means that you are helpless and hopeless and that they're asking for something you don't have. And somebody's got to pay the price that's being demanded, and you can't do it, or you wouldn't be kidnapped. And the Bible says that you and I have been kidnapped by sin, that we have been held hostage by sin, and that sin has grabbed hold of our hearts, grabbed hold of our life, and that we are hopeless, needing a Savior who can ransom us. And that Jesus Christ came to this earth and that he walked this earth in sinless perfection and he paid a price for us. He ransomed us from sin and he bought us with a price so that now by trusting in him as Lord and Savior, I stand before God redeemed by his blood. So that I am not standing there on my own or by my good works or by my good intentions. I get to stand there because of what Jesus did for me. And so if that question was ever asked, why should I let you into my heaven? The response would not be, oh, I tried hard to be good or, oh, I tried hard to do what was right or, oh, I gave to the church or, oh, I did this or I did that. What would happen at that moment is I would be able to stand there and say, because I am covered by the blood of your son. And when I deserved nothing, he gave me everything. And I'm your child, and you chose me. And you need to know that when you receive Jesus, you need to know that when Jesus comes into your heart, that when God looks at you, he sees the child he chose. 
He sees the child that he loves. He sees the child that he sent his son to die for. He sees the child that he has forgiven. He sees the child in which he hopes, hopes in him. You need to know that God isn't looking for you to earn your way and to keep to heaven. He simply looks at you and says, you're mine, come on in. Because my son bought you. He loves you. We love you. You belong to me. The Bible describes the precious blood of Christ in verse 19 like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And they would have understood that in the sacrificial system when people came to the temple and they wanted to present a sacrifice that there would be a priest or a Levi that would look and would be examining their sacrifice and they would look for any spot or any blemish. And that could have been a spotless lamb that in the pen or on the journey to Jerusalem, another lamb had nipped it in the ear. And suddenly what was perfect is not perfect anymore. But Jesus was always perfect. Jesus was always acceptable. And the Bible says about Jesus something that it won't say about you or I or anyone else or anything else in heaven about him being the lamb without spot or blemish. Let me read this to you out of Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it and one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the lion the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In heaven, in heaven, you're going to have a perfect body. In heaven, you're going to be able to run if you limp. In heaven, you're never have to worry about your eyes needing glasses or anything else like that happening. It'll be totally different. But I want you to hear something. In heaven, there's one body that will still be marked. 
Because in heaven, when we see Jesus, he will still bear on his body the marks of the cross. Because in heaven, those marks aren't Mars. Those marks are the proclamation of his love for you. I love him because he first loved me. That's who we serve. The Bible says in verse 19, it's the precious blood of Jesus. All of us have things in our life that we consider precious. I pray that nothing is more precious to you than the blood of Jesus upon your life. It says in verse 20, he was forsaken before, or rather he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Because of what he did, we have our hope. So what will the world witness in us? In verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. He says, as you're being obedient, as you're being faithful for what God tells you and shows you and reveals in His Word, as you are responding the way that God calls you to and empowers you to, it will be flowing out of you naturally the love of the Father to each other and to this world. You know, sometimes we set the bar of love just a little bit too low. I think about a Sunday school teacher that was teaching a group of five and six years old, and they were going through the Ten Commandments. The teacher had just covered the commandment about honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, had walked through that commandment, and then said, now, Children, is there a commandment that might apply to how we treat our brothers and sisters? And one little boy, boom, just like that said, yes, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of a low bar set for love. Well, at least I didn't do that. But the Bible describes the bar that we are to cross is a high bar for love, that we are to love deeply in an unexplicable way. Matter of fact, the example that is found to, found to us in the Scripture where Jesus said in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Don't love each other to the best of your ability. Don't love each other when it's convenient, don't love each other. When it's, when it's uh, easy for you, you love each other the way I loved you. I loved you when you were on the, the banks of the shore tending your nets. I loved you when you were a tax collector sitting at the booth. I loved you when you denied me. You love me like I love you. And that's a high bar. And maybe like me, when you think about that, you think, how can I do that? And that's the first step to reality. You can't. He can through you. Are we letting people be loved by the power of Jesus flowing through our lives, flowing to their lives? Not my best ability, not my best effort, but the power of God in me through Christ to their lives. 
loving them. What does it say in verse 22? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. In other words, you're being obedient to what God says. You're being obedient to his word. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He says, listen, I want you to love sincerely. Don't just, you know, fake it. You love people sincerely. You love them deeply. You love them from your heart. And when you love people that way, they're going to fall in love with the Jesus who fell in love in your heart through you. He wants to use your life for his story to show the world what happens when somebody falls in love with him. You know, at the end of chapter 1, these words are recorded, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails or falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. You know, tomorrow I was supposed to leave with 30 folks, some from this church family, to go to Israel. But things have happened, and we've had to reschedule for next May, and that's okay. That's, that's okay. That's in God's timing, and, and uh, we're looking forward to being able to do that. Invariably, when you go to Israel, somebody will come up to you and say, what was the best part? What was your favorite part? And that's like looking at a mother that's got 12 kids saying, who do you love best? You know, you just loved it all. But one of the places that we went that was so impactful to me, and it continues to be, is the Museum of the Dead Sea Scrolls. To be able to stand in a room and to look at scrolls where we know that we have texts that are written within decades of the original. To be able to look and to see, and one of those that I love so much is in the book of Isaiah. They have the entire book of Isaiah stretched out, and there in the center, they've counted from this end and from the front end to get to the very middle. And there you can see a yod, which is a ceremonial pointer that is used when they read the text inside the synagogue because the text is, is treated as holy. You don't touch it with your finger, but you point to it. And it is at the centermost part of Isaiah to the centermost verse, and this is what the verse is, Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You're part of a love story. God invited you into his love story when you said yes to Jesus. And when Jesus comes into your heart, you join with God in a love story of transformation of lives, of brokenness being restored because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And each one of us, by knowing Christ, our lives have been changed. And the intention of God is not just that we get a new life and we get a transformed life because we have trusted in Christ, but that we now live our life in such a way that this world gets to see the truth of who Jesus is through you. 
so that you are part of God's love story to this world because your life now reflects the truth of who Jesus is. And so I just want to ask you, can people clearly see the story of God's love in your life? Do they see it through your choices? Do they see it through your speech? Do they see it through your conduct? Do they see it through your life? Or would you say, you know, I've never met Jesus. I've never really trusted Jesus as my Savior. And today, you need to join God's love story. You need to ask Christ into your life. We would love to get to talk with you about that. But maybe, maybe you're at the place where you say, you know, the truth is, my house is clean, but my heart's cluttered. And I've been clinging and holding on to hurts and to wrongs and disappointments and frustrations and fears, and they are keeping me back. And today I need to let go. I need to take a step. I need to say out loud, God, I need you to step in. I need you to start cleaning my house and my inner heart, cleaning out those closets, Instead of me storing stuff, it's time for me to let go of stuff. And maybe you need somebody to pray with, and we're available to pray with you. Your small group leaders can pray with you. Others are available to pray with you, and we're going to be here for you. But wherever you are today, I just want to ask you this. Is God's story clearly seen in you? Because that's what we've been called to, to live as a light among the nations of the truth of Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? As our heads are bowed, if you have never said yes to Jesus, could I ask you to pray in your heart with me? Dear Jesus, here I am. I need you. I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Become my Savior and Lord. I trust you in faith. Or maybe there's another decision that you need to make. And we're going to have deacon families available. There's other people throughout the congregation that will be available to pray with you. But maybe you just need to be able to say, I need to take a step. I need to, to say out loud that I'm struggling, and Lord, here I am. Whatever your need is, we ask for the Lord to minister to you. So, Lord, here are your children. We're asking you to do what only you can do so that we can walk in freedom and be the story the light that shows the truth of your story through our lives. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.